Hello and welcome to R plus J equals podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gatula, and with me is my lovely wife, my co-host, my Khaleesi, my... I can't think of another descriptor from Game of Thrones. I'm not your aunt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Regina! Hello. Hello. So, you guys might notice that our general demeanor seems to be a little bit more positive than the last two Mondays, and I think the reason why is that... We were generally pretty happy with yeah, the Yeah, you have a significant mood change oh, than yeah. from last week. You were just pissed on Mondays. Yeah. Now you woke up, you're like, I'm pretty happy. Because, you know, the last two Mondays, it was all about listening to podcasts of people bitching about the, the, the show. Fucking timelines. People reading articles about how all these flaws were here and there. And this time think, around. And us yeah. thinking about it and saying, how, how does this even make sense? But now, but this we're time. Here. They, we, we got through that rough patch, yes. and we got to this episode, and it was, it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, so, and we also discovered a universal truth that in the end of the day, it's all about cocks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this world is all Ex- about. Except for Theon. Which, in the end, <laughs> it actually benefited him, which was, we'll get to. <laughs> so, the way we're doing this episode is we're actually going to recap most of the stuff and give our thoughts on all the pivotal scenes and then in a couple days we'll come back with a mailbag episode to really wrap up the season so here we go first up talking about the big meeting yeah i was really nervous i think when the first scene came on of just showing king's landing my heart rate was up i was yeah. just i i think i've been so traumatized by the Red Wedding still after four years that anytime groups gathering. of characters come together at a gathering in a room or an isolated place, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to Red Wedding us. So, and also in the fact that it matter is like, I had no idea how this meeting was going to go. Just like in the previous podcast, we were just so dumbfounded on how this meeting is going to play out. I always thought it was going to play kooky in my head, but in the moment, I just could not help but feel major anxiety. I think the buildup was pretty good, too. It in- included the walk to the dragon pit, right? Mm-hmm. At first, it was just some of the characters, not including Cersei. It was like the side characters. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it kind of felt like the undercard to a main event. Mm-hmm. It's like, you see some of these meetups, like Bronn and Tyrion and Podrick meeting all up and again. magic deck. Yep. His and magic then, pod. And then Brienne meeting mm-hmm. up, seeing the hound again. Yeah, then like talking those, about Arya. Yeah, those cool moments that were kind of a tease to what was to come. And then we get them marching into the dragon pit. You see all the, the detail that was created for the show there. And then Cersei shows up. But of yeah. course, there's one person missing, Daenerys. She makes her grand entrance and... I knew that was going to yeah, happen. Yeah, on huh? the dragon. Of course, she's got to show that she's stronger. Right. And here we go. We, we start the discussion, but no, they get undercut by Mr. Mr. Break the Tension, Mr. Icebreaker. Uh, he was Euron. like a drunk uncle at a wedding. You're right. Drunk <laughs> Uncle Euron. The perfect description for Euron, I think, in terms of not just this season, but last season. <laughs> drunk uncle here to fuck shit up. Yeah, I just felt like when he interrupted Tyrion, it just reminded me of being at a wedding and the, a drunk uncle says an impulsive, inappropriate speech and you as a guest just kind of like 
put your head down and start drinking a little bit more to get over the mortification of what's happening. So that's exactly how I felt. I did enjoy it, though. I thought it was pretty funny. I liked... It broke the tension. I liked when he was making the dwarf jokes, but then Tyrion... He kind of called back to him and Theon's old conversation about dwarf jokes to make them only if they're good, right? Right. And then Uh, Theon's like, it wasn't even that good. It was Uh, good. To me, I saw it as the writers breaking the ice kind of to signal that, hey, this isn't going to go in the way that you're thinking. It's not going to go in the big murderous rampage that we're expecting from a lot of these other big gatherings in this show. Yeah. Right? God, I wish we had more Euron scenes this season. I, mean, I really enjoyed it. Euron, Euron is a good guy. He's funny. A good he, guy? You should rephrase good, that. Euron is a good character in the show because he brings this levity in a tone that doesn't make the show feel cheap or anything. Mm-hmm. It matches his character yeah. as a pirate. Right. Um, but it, it still brings a little bit of comedic relief into play. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. So, but then right after that, they essentially showcase their PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> yeah. They're like, it was in living color, a, a real live demonstration. John stood up and he's like, these are my bullet points about <laughs> why this is a real threat. And then, and then the hound came up from that thing and showed the zombie. Right. I will say... That the way this meeting started is probably the majority of how all meetings started, especially when you have a conference call where, like, the first person doesn't really know what to say or who to, like, oh, okay, uh, hello, everyone. It was just, it was just funny. Hello, I'm Jon Snow. <laughs> I'm the King of the North. You may have seen me in episodes such as Watchers at the Wall, Hard Home. <laughs> Anyways. And, and then it's like, oh, the Hound, you're up. Go threaten your brother. Yes. Yeah, so. But the zombie, I mean, I was terrified. I actually even got freaked out when the hound went downstairs in the boat and it started screaming and shaking. It scared me. Maybe I'm just like sensitive. I don't know these days. But a part of me was thinking that when the hound was taking out the top of the box and, you know, undoing the the Mm. nails and the chains and all of that, it took a while and he kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Did the zombie die or did someone take it? Because they left that box yeah. with the Lannister soldiers like, and, like two minutes before. And I'm like, after all that you've been through, you're not going to have one of your people stand with the box? Well, not just that. Like he knocked on it a little bit and it went crazy, right? Yeah. I was like, why is the zombie not moving when he carried it up the stairs, dropped it on the ground, right? Yeah. It was for tension. Yeah. So, but I really liked, despite having this mission be really stupid and the meeting just not making sense, how terrified Cersei was. Because that zombie was terrifying. And she was genuinely shocked and had fear. I mean... And I think it was really powerful. Just her acting in general, her face, it was so good. We've never seen that, right? And I think... No, not Cersei being genuinely terrified. terrified. And the other thing is, though... That scene and that look kind of justified their mission. It actually... You thought it was enough? It worked. I think it worked in terms of actually showing Cersei the threat and she actually had to start considering it in terms of something being a real threat. And it didn't completely justify it because it was pretty stupid, but at least they got the reaction 
they were hoping for, right? She wasn't just like, I don't give a fuck. This is some magic shit. I'm going to burn you all. Yeah, and she got to see the dragons, but I thought her her reaction to the zombie was definitely a lot more powerful than her seeing a dragon for the first time. So from there, she agrees to the truce, and Euron pieces out because that's in character, but she (laughs) agrees to the truce as long as John and Danny, or John doesn't make a decision, Mm -hmm. and he stays neutral, right? But of course... What happens there, you get Mr. Honest John. You know, just like his father, or his, you know, stepfather, or whatever. His foster father, (laughs) his uncle. Just like Honest Ned, John has uh, miraculously started just really harping on this being honest thing. I mean, I think John has always been honest, because if you think about what's the worst John has ever done in the previous years. He's never really done anything. Like, think about all the other Stark children. Like, Rob, he broke an oath and got married to Talisa. So that wasn't very honest. And, like, Sansa, Arya, I mean, even Bran. I mean, I guess Bran, but he was a little kid. So he is really yeah a good person. He, he's and Ned's he's, son in terms of, like, honorable. He's the most, like, Ned, ironically, than all of his other children. So, yeah. I thought this was funny because everybody kind of eye rolled at him. I they're mean, like, I eye rolled. They're all like, "What the fuck are you doing, you dumbass? We had her." He's like, "Why can't you just tell a lie?" He's like, "I am honest, Abe. I cannot tell a lie." I know. Even Danny was like, "Okay, dude. Like, I, I'm, I'm appreciated, but seriously, like, I really like how she pointed out to him. It's like my." freaking dragon died for this and you can't tell one lie like he died for nothing that's her child for heaven's sake luckily i think this whole honest john thing i think it sets up something and we'll talk about it Mm -hmm. a little bit later but from there Tyrion got to finally flex his either convincing chops or his acting chops and we got a great scene out of Tyrion and Cersei. But let me flip that on the head because at the end of the day, though, Cersei wasn't even probably going to agree with it. So can we really fault John for his honesty and thinking that it kind of ruined true. it? So, anyway, so his intuition was actually right, right? Like, yeah, but they're still fall. They're still falling for it. Yeah. But I think John being honest really had no substantial consequence to what Cersei was going to do in the end. But anyways, so Tyrion and Cersei scene was so good. It just brought me back to old times. I always enjoyed them drinking wine and hating each other and having great banter and witty banter and back and forth. I, again, was very nervous. Like every time the mountain is on screen... I and I maybe I'm also still traumatized by what he did to Oberyn. Yeah, but you're expecting Oberyn 2.0 whenever right. the mountains around. Like I, oh, I'm expecting skull crushing and eyes being gouged out. But I really thought Tyrion was done for. I thought he was going to. They're going to subvert our expectation, and he was going to die. And I was really scared because. I just didn't want to see that graphic violence yeah. done to such a well-beloved character one of the by sho- the mountain. One of the shots I liked from that scene was Tyrion walking in and the mountain shutting the doors behind him. It, it was like Red Wedding me, yeah, again. Totally reminded me of the Red Wedding. And that's one thing that we don't really talk about on this podcast, the cine- cinematography of this show. And I think it's because we can't complain about it because it's really, really all well done in terms of visuals. Yeah, it was just it was it was a great conversation. I really liked how 
he was, you know, said that it wasn't about Tom and Marcella, that he did love them. Yeah. And Cersei, it always kind of was like, why didn't she do it, though? Why didn't she why just kill her? Is it be- obviously if she did, Daenerys would probably burn because her she was playing down. him, right? Yeah, he's like, she is like, I'm gonna trick him to thinking that I'm changing my mind, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna turn on them at the very, very end when yeah. when they're up all up there. It's also interesting. She talks about family and legacy with Tyrion, even though she doesn't consider him. Yeah. her family but she puts it on him like you're trying to destroy our family our legacy when yeah. you yourself Cersei is the one who destroyed Tommen yeah. first of all yeah I'm not going to put all the blame on Marcella's death on you but I don't know I thought they have great conversations those two yeah. actors and it was a good was- tense scene and we finally got to confirm that she's pregnant yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were wrong. We thought the baby was just fake, fake news. She didn't have a tummy, though. I know, like, three months has passed. Yeah, but at this point, like, she's she's showed it to Tyrion, essentially. And yeah. as we'll talk about later, and then Jamie now knows it's real, and that's the reason she doesn't care about Jamie anymore. Right, but right. back to the Tyrion scene, for me personally, I wasn't actually that scared that he was going to die. Really? I, 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 I felt it for a little bit. But then in terms of how the conversation was going, I didn't I didn't think it would actually end that way because the consequences would have been like horrific. And yeah. I think Danny would have just burnt the shit out of that castle if that happened, right? Right. And Cersei know, knows that as well. I don't know. Every time I watch Game of Thrones, a part of me is like, oh, but they're going to do some bad shit to some people we like. Yeah, and at the same time, like, this season hasn't really done that either in terms of that's killing people. That's why I was people. so nervous. So that's why I wasn't nervous because they've kind of let up on that whole killing main characters. I think they're stalling all those till till next season. I don't know. Um, but yes, you're right. The baby is real. And, you know, after Cersei comes back out and pledges allegiance and says, I will send, I'll call all my banners, whatever banner she has left. Yeah. Half of them are burnt to a crisp. Right. But she's like, I'll, I will send all of my men to the north. Right? But like do you And it's think, like, whoa, that's a twist. Like, is that really happening? But do you think that Tyrion believes her? I do. Okay. Because Tyrion's pretty stupid right now. He hasn't <laughs> been just, smart the last couple He he's probably really proud of himself too. Yeah, I just feel like Tyrion should it's so out of character to not know his sister. So for him to like say, Okay, I trust you, maybe that he maybe he probably thinks a zombie demonstration was very powerful well, and changed Cersei's somewhat heart and the fact that she's pregnant. I mean, Tyrion's, so, yeah, that too. But yeah. also Tyrion's whole thing this season is how he's just been wrong. Okay. Constantly. Um, then this leads to Jamie, mm-hmm. right? It leads to Jamie planning out, okay, we're going to send these guys to Winterfell. We're going to go this way. And then she's just savage. She's like, I always knew you're the stupidest. Yeah. Stupidest fucking Lannister, right? He's and like, I was like, the fuck? Oh shit. Yeah. Like, what did I do? Yeah, so <laughs> one it what really turns him on her is that she plotted the mm-hmm. whole Euron thing without Jamie. Mm-hmm. And now she has an heir from Jamie, so she doesn't give a fuck about Jamie anymore. Like yeah. as book readers, I always loved Jamie's turn, but and I always yearn for it to happen inside in the actual show. But now, when I think about it, I felt like this was a better turn than that. Really? Yeah. I, I, I just think, 
having Jamie this close to her this whole time and then feeling truly, truly be- mm-hmm. betrayed is... I thought the way they portrayed it was really, really well done, and I thought the acting, like his his facial expressions, if you rewatch that scene, were really right. high quality. I think it was a culmination of him finally turning and seeing the zombie and being like, who gives yeah, a shit that about that? You know, he actually has more logic and less crazy than Cersei. And also the fact that it is a she basically was like, yeah, I can kill you. And I thought, I thought... Yeah. Part, I was like, oh, God, is Jamie a goner by the mountain? Like, the mountain, ah, oh, he just, like, so, stresses me out. So I will agree with you there. That whole scene, it, based on the music and how tense it was, I truly felt like that was a death. It yeah. was totally going to happen. We were just going to see Jamie struck down and killed. Which and, would have totally ripped my expectations yeah. because I'm so set on Jamie and Cersei having a tragic reunion and Jamie killing Cersei. So that if that happened, I would have been like, what I would have been just confused. <laughs> yeah. So that was scary. I really like that scene, and I'm glad Jamie. We finally get the Jamie we've been waiting for. Make Jamie great again. We finally got it, right? <laughs> yeah. It I took re- how many years Seven. in the books? That turn happens during the shame sequence. That was like season, it should have happened season four. That was the shame sequence was season five. The end of season five. Yeah, but if I'm thinking about how... Oh, yes, you're right? right, season five, yeah. So it's right around there, and that means we got two full years of lame, wishy-washy Jamie, but then we finally got the true Jamie, the Jamie who is one of my favorite characters yeah. in the books, alongside, like, Arya and John, and it's it'll be great. He's joining the Westeros All-Stars up in the Winterfell. Well, we'll see. Where he goes. He's going what, to Winterfell. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's definitely going north. But yeah. I also liked how when that last scene where he's on the horse and he covers up his gold yeah. hand, I took it as more of like a symbolic way of saying he's covering up his Lannister gold, like his yep. Lannister, I guess, um, persona and becoming Jamie, becoming someone new and then that coupled with watching the snow fall on King's Landing was awesome. Yeah. It was just silent and it was, no pun intended, but chilling. Yeah. And because, I mean, King's Landing has always been sunny and nice weather. And yeah. it was really interesting to see it come to snow. So yeah. I thought it was cool. So at the end of the day, in terms of the meeting, I truly feel like the execution of the meeting scenes was were really good because I still think they all acted in character, logical for... Like, Cersei didn't just automatically flip, right? Yeah. And even if she did flip in the end, she didn't really. She's playing them, she's manipulating them, and that was great. But she did show how scared she was of the, the white. John is so stupid, though. <laughs> even Jamie but, calls him dolt. But John's stupidity is... Totally on character, alongside with his honesty. Right, right, right. right. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said before, I still don't forgive this stupid mission. I still think the meeting kind of was unnecessary. But it had a few consequences, like Jamie's turn and seeing that Cersei is truly, in fact, doesn't give a shit about anything. I, I just... It, it was. It ended up, like I said before, a lot less kookier than I thought it was going to be. But by you saying you don't forgive it, does that mean you're still going to dwell on it? Like you're um, still going to, when you go back to the season, are you going to automatically like 
get angry because you thought of those last two episodes? No, I, I'm tr- I'm at a point where I'm trying to make that whole mission make be- make it better in my head. So then, so, to me, you are forgiving it uh, because you're continuing. I'm slowly trying to. I need to. I think, like I said before, I'm gonna rewatch this entire season to really watch it as a whole versus once a week episode because I want to just go back and maybe maybe rejudge it but yeah. I'm not going to say right now that I forgive it just because they did a good job with the meeting but what I'm saying is the fact that we are happy leading going into the next season shows that we're starting to forget it right and, and overlook it it's fine yeah right I, but I will also always say all the things that happened in the meeting it all could have gone in about in a different way the goals that they wanted to accomplish so that's all I'm going to say and I don't think I'll ever change that that opinion. So. I think that's like me with my opinion on this, the, that Arya episode from last season uh, uh-huh. when she's being chased by the wave. But I overlook it because I still view it as a... It's a blip in the radar. It's a bump in the road of, of Game of we, Thrones. We criticize that more than just a blip in the radar, okay? That was a core foundational so it's issue. The, it's, but... We're not going to let it ruin it, so exactly. I think it's fine. So it's the biggest bump, right. yeah, in the story of Game of Thrones. But for me personally, I'm over it. I'm over it. it Good it, for it, you. Could, it still worries me a little bit uh-huh. leading into the final season. But overall, I'll, I'll just say it out front, I'm, I'm over it. I'm not going it, it, let... it led to cool scenes. It yeah. led to the story needing to be where it was. I'm not going to let the showrunners get off the hook that easily. Are you going to so. start tweeting at them or something? No. You're going to be like, hey, you guys need to be better. You need to be better. You can't no, be irresponsible. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. So next up were the Littlefinger versus Stark sister I scenes. didn't get to see sister killing. No, and I'm glad. Right? So in the first scene... Overall, it was Littlefinger and Sansa, and Littlefinger's going into his whole diatribe about, like, you need to assume ev- the worst out of everybody and everything ever. You see this dude, he's pouring you wine, but no, really, he wants to poison your God, wine. No, he, he's, like, on fucking ecstasy. But, I mean, when I watch this scene, because I, of course, am assuming the worst, yeah. assuming the worst in this whole uh, plot line that there's going to be sister killing, I was really annoyed when... Sansa was saying all the things that were leading up to her saying that Arya wants to be Lady of Winterfell and that she's going to betray Jon and all of that. I was just like, oh, God, Sansa, stop being so stupid. And another part of me was like, hmm, is that Arya and Littlefinger's face? <laughs> With Littlefinger's face? I kind of thought that. Yeah, but. so that was... I, don't, I think it was a theory I read online, and it's been floated oh, around. Oh, it was a theory? Right yeah, that, that who knows, at the end of the day, like, maybe Arya had already killed Littlefinger, yeah. and she was using his face to try to dig into Sansa to really figure out if she would betray Jon. That was complete. like, so when you rewatch that scene, watch it with that kind of context, and it kind of feels that way a little bit. Yeah. But then, obviously, that, that theory went completely out of the window right when they were in the same room right right I, for a second i was like oh wait maybe he, she's doing like the dual body like thing that jack and hakar was able to oh, do God. but then i was like oh, okay no it's, that's not what's happening going back to the sansa and little finger scene where he's telling her you need to assume the worst when you go back and rewatch the scene and you hear the statements that sansa is saying by assuming the worst 
see how her face changes when Littlefinger, you know, helps her lead to that type of logic. It's like now when you rewatch it, it's like she is trying to get him to confess yeah. versus him making her confess. It's really interesting. So she, so she can finally... Her subtle face yeah, changes. She can see his final motive, mm-hmm. right? To get her to think that way. Totally. Right. So we get to the trial scene and, hey, look who's here. Bran! Brandon Stark, the three-eyed raven. My stress level when I saw Bran significantly decreased because... Again, within like two seconds, you're playing scenarios of what's happening next while you're watching. And you're like, okay, something bad happens if Sansa tries to kill Arya. Bran's there. He's going to interrupt right in the moment that she's about to get executed. Like, I was just trying to like play up all the scenarios. Mm-hmm. But... Play every battle in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, I still was a little nervous. I always still, again, so traumatized with Red Wedding. Like... When there's large people, when there's a large group of people in a room and the focus is on a main character, you just assume that someone important is going to die. Yeah, but luckily, they turned it on him. Right? It was the most satisfying way I think that they could have killed Littlefinger in something that's like according to the show and not out of character. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things to me was they were able to review all of his different, the most, the majority of his different crimes and remind. Not just the people in that hall, but remind the audience how Littlefinger has been a part of like almost every major like twist and like deceit mm-hmm. in this overall show, and he's finally getting what comes to him, right? And his acting, Aiden Gillen, let's give it to him, man. He for for six to seven for seven seasons, he spent talking like this and like being all <laughs> kind of samey and creepy, keto. but. He flipped his switch into desperate. Yeah, it was good to see Littlefinger so desperate and begging for his life. It was just so powerful when Sansa was talking to Arya and then she says, how do you answer Lord Baelish? Like his eyes just like did a double blink and was like, I'm so confused. And it's kind of like how maybe the audience was like, confused for half a second and then it's like fuck you realize that they were scheming him all along and to see him be so pathetic was just so gratifying yeah because like this asshole basically started the entire war between the Lannisters and the Starks and he manipulated his way and I loved how Sansa was like you turn family against family like he was trying to turn Sansa against Jon turning sister against sister like he did with uh, Lysa Aaron and Catelyn and now Sansa and Arya it was just so good and then my boy Bran was like when he was like I deny everything he's like well you said this and this exact word and he's like Fuck the brand factor. And that's that's that, part of Littlefinger's downfall. And then he was like, "You held a knife to to his yep. throat, right?" So what's funny is why didn't Littlefinger just say like, "How do you know that?" He went there, but <laughs> he was knows? freaking out. Yeah, he was totally because he knew out. it was the truth. So it was good stuff, and I, you know, you got what you wanted. I got what I wanted. Your the, expectations the, were. The one other thing that I enjoyed from that was, yes, yeah, Sansa admits that she was a slow learner. Mm-hmm. To me. That portrays the fact that she didn't actually know what Arya was doing up until that scene in the previous episode when she flips the knife mm-hmm. and gives her the dagger. Because that was right? just a weird thing. That like was a weird thing, like, but to me, mean? the way that I see it is that Arya, the whole time, because she's a faceless man, she was playing the whole time. Ever since she looked up at Littlefinger and saw her with mm. Sansa, she's like... Littlefinger is a problem here. I need to do something about it. So that whole time that she was 
investigating Sansa and doing all those things. She was playing it. Mm -hmm. She was deceiving Littlefinger into thinking and deceiving even Sansa into thinking that she would actually hurt her, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But then Arya, through that scene, was trying to portray, hey, I wouldn't actually do anything. Mm -hmm. The ball is in your court. Use me as a weapon the way that you need to use, like, the the way that it should be done. So then that moment, that's when Sansa realizes, hey, this is what's going on. And it seems like Arya couldn't tell Sansa outright the plan because she maybe knew that there were spies. She couldn't trust people. Yeah, you got to be safe. Right, right. So she had to play this little game. And it... It makes sense, and that's why I think we were so frustrated yes. earlier on the season. Like, it was so out of character to, for Arya to have this training and this essentially magic power and not – because the Faceless Man can see people's true motives and yeah. see when they lie. So it just – it didn't make sense that she was acting so irrationally. Yeah, so – so it, it makes sense, but I just always have to assume the worst with Game of Thrones, and that's yeah. why I was expecting the worst. I think – it's really happy. It's really good for me, especially because this is the return of one of my other favorite characters. We got the return of good Jamie, and we get the return of good Arya, essentially, yeah, right? Yeah. Arya as a good character. Mm-hmm. This whole time, I we were like you were saying, I was so frustrated because Arya is one of my favorite characters, and she's doing this dumbass shit. But no, she wasn't doing. Yeah. So all my hot take is wrong <laughs> again. And I keep flip-flopping, but it's okay because we get the good Arya. I thought it was really poetic the way Littlefinger died, too. It was the same way that Catelyn died. Got got their throat slashed. A quick throat slash. Dude, that was fucking harsh and quick. Like, he was mid-sentence and Arya was like, beep. And it was jagged. Oh, and it bled out. Like, it was pretty graphic. It's exactly what he deserves. He probably deserves a little worse, but... Yeah. It's okay. He died in front of... He was embarrassed in front of yep. everybody, right? Uh-huh. And I love how the Royce dude like, was fuck like, you. fuck you, dude. Like, yeah, you like killed- get the fuck out of here. We yeah. know everything that you did, and I never liked you from the start, so fuck you. And Sansa's whole thing about you but you sold me to the Boltons, like, that yeah. was just the ultimate betrayal yeah. that she just didn't give a fuck. I think Sansa was a little, little nervous and a little... Disturbed yeah, I didn't understand why she was crying. I think she was crying because re- recounting all of the horrible things okay. that he's done to her family is probably like you betrayed my father, my mother. You tried like it was you sold me the Boltons. Like she kind of had to like relive it. Yeah. So I think she was just very emotional, you know. And Arya and Bran aren't really emotional people these days, yeah. so you got to get the emotion from somewhere. She's not cold hearted. The only time we ever saw Sansa cold hearted was when she killed Ramsay, but that was more of like black right. and white. That was like a revenge versus li- the Littlefinger thing. It was like I know he loves me, but he's a fucking horrible person. Yeah. So goodbye to Littlefinger. I knew he wouldn't make it to season eight, kind of. The really, I think in the last episode I suggested Littlefinger would die, and you're like, <laughs> "What? No!" Because you know I had. And to then you're like, like, "He'll always survive." I think I'm trying to like reverse jinx it because I want to say no, so then it does happen. Yeah. So at the end of this whole sequence, we get their nice conversation on the top of the castle, which seems to be where Stark siblings love to have heart to hearts. Yeah. Right? It was shot the same exact way that yep. the season uh, finale of season six was between John and Sansa. Yeah. I, I, there's two things that I want to talk about here. It's one that 
the opposite of what Ned Stark says is that the one who says the sentence must swing the sword. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite here. Sansa's the lady saying the sentence, but Arya is the executioner. So is that a good or bad? So thing? I don't know. That's just interesting. It's like things have changed a little bit. It's we're still we're Stark. We're the same family. But Dad, it's not exactly the same. And they're but, a lot smarter than Catelyn yeah. and Ned. But then on the other side, Arya starts that uh-huh. quote, and then Sansa finishes it about the lone wolf dying yeah. and the pack surviving. That was really good. And I think it's been a really big theme this season, the whole memory of Ned Stark and mm-hmm. how his honesty and how his character lives on through a bunch of these characters and affects their actual emotions and how they decide things and how they conduct themselves. Yeah, he was mentioned a lot this season. I feel like more than any other season. I do want to say, when you say Ned's honesty, I want to put, quote, honesty, honesty. and we'll get there. Look, he's honest about (laughs) 99.9% of things other than the one world-shattering thing. that can really fuck up a person. Yeah. So... Let's one more thing I want to say. I hope next season we get a Ned Stark flashback. I just want to see Sean Bean on the screen again. <laughs> one last time, full circle. Ned Stark saying winter is coming one more time. But speaking of a person who is affected a ton by Ned Stark, our boy Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, I loved the John and Theon scene. I think for me, the way that I viewed it is that you see it episode two real, realizing that Theon is still reek. And I think with these scenes, you see him snap out of it. Yeah. He literally gets the shit beaten out of him. He gets the validation I believe he needed from John. Other than uh, Sansa, John was like the next person that he I felt like he needed to get forgiveness from. So it was such a good conversation between them two because it's like also emphasized John's honesty as well. Cause he was like, you know, when we're all young, you were always like telling the truth and knew what the right, what the right thing was. So it really just portrays John's overall high moral ground. But I loved how John says that you're a Greyjoy and a Stark. It just like, it really, I think mentally snapped him out of it. And then when he got the shit beat out of him, it like, actually knocked him out of what's it. funny is and when he washed his face at the sea it yeah. was like he washed the reek away what's funny is and i was just thinking about this the fact that he is a Greyjoy is actually what sent him down the bad path of becoming reek right he he goes to visit the iron islands he goes to visit balon his father and then his commitment to trying to become a, a real Greyjoy is what leads him to be captured by the boltons right mm-hmm. because all that stuff in Winterfell happens. And so that whole path, lead, him trying to be a Greyjoy, leads him to where he is now as kind of like this shitty version of Theon. And he's kind of still reek. Right. But then John reminds him, hey, the strength in your life comes from you being a Stark. Right. And it flips it. And it, it flips that switch back. He's like, oh, I'm still like what I used to be. Yeah. And yeah. I think for Theon, it's, not a hundred. We're not saying he needs to be a hundred percent Stark, but it need, there. There's a balance between being Stark and having yeah. some Greyjoy. You take the good parts of Greyjoy, yep. the good parts of being a Stark, and then you get what we always wanted to see from Theon as a character. Yeah, not so, some asshole and not some wimp. Yeah, so. you you pointed it out while we were watching it when he was getting into that fight with that captain. And he was getting need in the balls. Well, lack of balls. <laughs> Um, Theon got this kind of crazy face. Yeah, it was but old it was Theon. like old Theon. He's like 
boastful, strong, and like willful and right. kind of crazy, but right. kind of a douchebag. But it's the old Theon, and that was like the comeback. Yeah. That was him officially coming back. Yep. Right? It was great. And next, John and Dan. <laughs> All right. We have a lot to talk about here, but don't worry. We've. We've, the therapy session from earlier this season was really helpful because it helped us cope with the fact that this was likely going to happen. Right? Yeah, I I obviously, if you heard about the podcast a couple of episodes ago, I had huge problems with this and talked about it for a very long time. But since then, I've developed some coping mechanisms because in reality, this was inevitable. They were leading up to it. They weren't really trying to hide it at all. Even an interview that uh, Alan Taylor Taylor did. Who's a a douchebag (laughs) if you read any of his interviews. A couple days ago, he basically said it's going to happen between them, this relationship. Um, Yeah, so I think the way that... I was able to cope with it. I'm going to give a shout out to my brother-in-law, Jacob, as he opened my eyes to this, is the story of Oedipus Rex and uh, the tragedy behind him finding out that he, in fact, married and had children with his mother. Yeah, so let me quickly recap the story of Oedipus Rex. Uh, I might not get it 100% right, but basically Oedipus was, was a kid and he was supposed to be murdered and, like, killed but the guard that was supposed to murder him sent him away with a messenger. And he was supposed to be murdered and killed because his father, the king, heard of this prophecy that one day your son is yeah. going to kill you and marry yeah. the mother, your wife. So, so after the, the king whole, tried to kill yeah, him. After the whole journey, essentially Oedipus comes back to this town and then he kills the king. And the king doesn't know that yeah. that's his son. And then he falls Neither in does- love. He falls in love with the king's wife, which is his mom, and nobody knows that they have two kids. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the twist is he finds out and the mother kills herself and he gouges his whole eyes out. Now, we don't think that's going (laughs) to happen in Game of Thrones, but I I think what's helped us cope with the incest is essentially this story isn't being portrayed as a happy love story ending. It's being set up as tragic, and that comes from Bran and Sam finding out that he's a Targaryen. The thing is, we've seen that John has really high morals. He's a good person at heart. He would never betray anyone. I really disagree with people who are like, oh, but they're Targaryens and that's what Targaryens used to do to keep the bloodline. It's like, no, that is so out of character for John to just be cool with fucking his aunt. So if he found out, I don't think he would have done it. So yeah. that's why that whole logic just doesn't make sense to me. The way that I've been able to deal with the idea of John and Dame each other is like, fine, they don't know. to They're not going into this relationship knowing that they're related. So yeah, I think the way that they set it up is a tragic love story. And I think a couple episodes ago, I was so stuck on that, oh, John and Danny, they're just going to get together because two attractive people, they need to get together and they're both the same age and all of that. And but we're supposed to be okay that And we're supposed incest. to be okay that incestuous because it, everyone does it on Game of Thrones. No, that's not the point. The point of the story is that John and Danny are getting set up. In this tragic love story, John's going to turn out to be a tragic hero who finds out that he has sex with his aunt and is really ashamed. Well, I hate the fact that it's incest. It adds a complexity to 
John's character that I wasn't expecting. I always thought John and Danny would meet his aunt and nephew and come together, his family, to fight evil. But it adds this Greek mythology twist that I'm interested in unfolding. So I'm surprisingly okay with it, even though a few episodes ago I was quite disturbed. I I felt like this is more of an intriguing story because it wasn't as clean cut as I thought it was going to be. So here's how I see it coming to fruition. This is my overall theory, and it takes inspiration a little bit from Oedipus Rex. Basically, Bran and Sam, I think they're going to find, they already found out and they've already determined that John is Daenerys' nephew, right? But he's also the true heir to the throne. I think Bran and Sam are going to tell John, but he's going to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be happy, obviously. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's going to keep it a secret, which goes against everything in his will because he's such an honest person. Kind of what Ned Stark exactly. did with Lyanna. It's, it's going full circle. Ned Stark held this horrible, horrible secret back, and he, he held the shame of it to himself that he had a bastard, mm-hmm. but he did that, kept that secret for the safety of John and for the safety of the realm, right? Because Robert would have killed him. Yeah, and Robert would have <laughs> killed him, that too. So it's kind of cool because it's going to go full circle if, if you guys believe my theory. Basically, John will find out his heritage. He will essentially kind of become distant or mm-hmm. shun Daenerys. And the problem here is I think that Danny's pregnant now I d- because they've alluded to it a, bu- a bunch yep. of times now. I think the way that it might play out is that, and you kind of convinced me because I was so on the point that Danny's going to die, but I think that it might play out. John will have the intent of telling her, but he will find out that she's pregnant. And because John is this good moral person, he isn't going to be like, well, I'm going to leave you. You No, he's going to say, oh, my God. And I also think Tyrion will say, Daenerys, you can't have a bastard. You you have to marry Jon. And Jon will agree to it. But he won't be happy. I think they won't have sex anymore. I think that we're not going to witness it. I think it's just a one-time thing. And Jon's going to be distant, like you said, to Danny, And he's not going to tell her. And Danny will be confused and frustrated and sad and angry. So we'll see. And I think the whole Danny being pregnant thing, her whole thing about how she can't have children, I was actually reading this article that pointed something out to me. So like Danny said in this episode, the witch who murdered Khal Drogo told her when she essentially lost her baby that only death can pay for life. So yeah. the curse has essentially been lifted if you really think about it because if you go back to season one, the death of her first child with Khal Drogo paid for Khal Drogo's life, even though he was essentially brain dead. Khal Drogo died and paid for the life of the dragons, right? Yep. Viserion, her dragon, died essentially paying the life of this new potential Targaryen baby. So it's kind of like things are getting full circle. So I don't know. I kind of like that theory. Yeah. So back to the whole, why would John be so upset about incest? Well, yeah, he does. he's honorable. But why would he keep it a secret? I think the realm has changed. The realm doesn't didn't support Cersei's kids because they were born out of incest. And I think the same 
judgment would be cast upon their children if people found out that they were related. It would not go well with the lords. They'd be like, no, this is the same as what we were dealing with with Cersei. Right. And the, a children born on incest, we don't agree with that anymore. Right. So I, that's the other reason that he's going to keep the secret for the safety of this future heir. Yeah. Right? And so it's just it just bothers me, I guess, when people are like, oh, it's cool. Like, Targaryens did it. It's like, no, Rhaegar didn't do it. Yeah. So it just ended with the Mad King and Rhaella. So I think, really, if you think about who John and Danny are as people... It is so out of character for them to be like, hey, yeah, let's let's be in an incestuous relationship. Yeah. It's totally cool. Because no, they also portrayed <laughs> Viserys being creepy to her yeah. as negative. And then back to how the scene actually came to fruition with them having sex, but then the voiceover with Bran. Yeah. I think that shows. And then also Tyrion's ominous look about, hey, there's going to be complications Dude, Tyrion's there. face bothered, not bothered me in a bad way. It bothered me in a good way because I was like, very ominous music was playing yeah. in the background. I was like, Jesus, this yeah. is like, what is Tyrion? I actually thought it was Jorah at first for half a second. And I was <laughs> oh, like, friend zone oh, that's Tyrion. And I know you explained to me because I was always like, why would Tyrion even care that Danny and John are in a relationship? Because she needs to get married. She needs to have an alliance. But you explained to me, well, John already bent the knee, so she doesn't really need that alliance yeah. anymore. So, like, I, Tyrion explained earlier when she, he made her break up, break up with Dario, mm -hmm. essentially, emotional attachments aren't good for what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. trying to become the queen, right? So that's where that ominous kind of stare looked. And then the ominous music and then the um, ominous, we have to tell him. Yeah. Like so you that, said, I liked how they did it because... It's not I, sunshine and rainbows and, no. rainbows and gumdrops. And I think you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. You're supposed to feel awkward because, again, you have such uh, good-hearted characters doing something that is... Should be happy if they weren't related. Well, having sex, yeah. But doing be participating in a sensuous relationship, it shouldn't feel... I feel like as an audience be like, oh, I'm totally cool with incest. So that's why I think they layered it with Bran's dire need of we need to tell him, we need to tell him because this shit is going to totally turn bad for them. Yeah. It's good. Or at least for John, because I, like you said, I don't think Danny's going to find out. In the end, my theory is that John will die. He will either sacrifice himself for the good of the realm and carry that secret to, with him to the grave and... Um, Danny will survive with the heir. And she won't ever know that she And she, she won't ever know. That yeah. was her nephew. I agree. Ugh, it's we'll so see. weird. Like, the Rhaegar and Lyanna Stark flashback was all cool, but hashtag Rhaegar was kind of ugly. Why is there a hashtag in there? I don't know. You mean hashtag not my Rhaegar? Yeah, it's just, like, I, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't settle on an actor and didn't really matter but that was just kind of like why yeah he kind of looked like <laughs> that a, was just a thing he's like an old ugly viserys yeah it was just weird it was just like why is this guy so old so speaking of old wrinkly men the night king yeah the final sequence of the season and i i kind of felt like it was coming but the way they did it visually was awesome the blue fire viserion Flying through the air, just blasting his fire through the wall. Dude, that blue fire was, was so, so cool. vicious. Like, yeah. obviously, Drogon's fire, anytime the dragons blow fire, it's vicious. But the blue fire was, like, quick and just 
I felt a million times harsher than watching the dragons blow regular fire, right? Yeah. Like, it was just... It was like a a missile. Yeah. Like, it was so strong. It was really fierce. That Night King looked fierce on his dragon. But, I mean, I... Like, when it happened, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And it's so funny because it took a lot for Viserion to to take down the wall. But he only needed... A section of it for yeah. all the zombies to pass through. Yeah, so. so we'll see what happens with next season. You know, how quickly will these White Walkers get to Winterfell? I feel like that truly is the next battle. It'll be the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah. Of and, and the Night King's on a dragon, so you can get there faster. <laughs> it'll be crazy. Humans have a, a rough enough time fighting zombies let alone two dragons fighting an, an, an ice dragon. Like, how is that going to go? I do think the ice dragon, doesn't it feel more powerful than a, the regular dragon? Well, it's... Because it's magical. And it can't get hurt, right? Just like the zombies, you can, like, stab them and stuff, but they're going to keep coming at you. It can yeah. take way more punishment. Well, I, I, but can't, can't Drogon or, like, can't Rhaegal blow the fire and you're saying that their fires won't hurt? Well, Viserion? no. He can take a lot more punishment. Oh, because he has it no, takes a lot for him to die. He has no feeling. He's not right. alive. He doesn't right. feel pain. It's like yeah. a Terminator. I mean, it, I think he's definitely more more magical than the other dragons. So he could maybe take the two of them. I always thought it would be kind of cool when if you see Drogon and Viserion fight because it goes back when Khal Drogo killed Viserys. And maybe there's foreshadowing there and how Khal Drogo poured the gold on Viserys' head and burning him. But what, what will Rhaegal do? <laughs> you know, Rhaegal, he's kind of one of those dragons that like to stay out, keep watch. He'll go fuck, his, per- <laughs> go fuck his aunt or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Rhaegal's kind of like doesn't really participate in too much of the drama. He just like is a watcher and makes sure he has it oh, out so right away. He's perfect match with ghosts then, <laughs> right? He's perfect. Perfect. We didn't see Ghost all Yo, season. Fuck Ghost. Like, who cares? Ghost I'm, is gonna, I'm over it. Ghost is going to be so jealous when John writes Rhaegal. He's going to be like, man, you gave him so much attention. Like, what about me? You haven't talked to me since season five. He barely talked to him in season six. The last time we saw Ghost was when? Season six when John was dead. That's it. When yeah. he woke up, he's like, huh? Yeah. That's it. And John didn't even say anything to Ghost. He was just like, oh, I'm alive again. Help me. Poor Ghost. Uh, So that wraps up the episode. Let's do these final two awards that we're going to give up unique to this episode. The first one is the least valuable player of this season. Mine is Tyrion Lannister. Wow. Tyrion Lannister. It should not be a surprise. Tyrion Lannister had four to six different decisions to make and different ideas and they all backfired and they were all stupid even this last one where he thinks he convinced cersei (laughs) she was just lying to him all his plans were dumb he lost all these battles because his strategy wasn't well thought out and at the end of the day he literally lost every chance that he took and and daenerys fucked her nephew (laughs) that's not Tyrion. He didn't okay, even at, prevent the end of the, that. at the end of the day, though, the person to blame about this relationship is John. He was the one that went to her room, knocked on the door. I do. I think. Why is it John's fault? Because I don't think Danny would have 
ignited any type of romantic relationship with John. He was just following his gut. Like he was following his dick. Okay. Yeah, but he felt love for her, and they fine. He felt love for her. Look, this is not. But John's dick is not the least valuable okay, player. No, no. <laughs> Tyrion's the least valuable player. I know, but you brought up, don't blame Tyrion for John and D- Danny's relationship. Because it's not his fault. He was just kind of just was happened to be there. I'm just saying, if anyone is going to get the blame, John's going to blame himself because he's going to be like, oh, I shouldn't have gone to He's going to pull an Oedipus. Night. He's going to gouge his eyes <laughs> out. He's going to take ghost claws and just scratch his eyes out. <laughs> and that's the point That's of the end ghost. of the season. Cut to black. <laughs> That's that's it. So Aww. who's your least valuable player? All right, mine is Littlefinger. Okay, I agree. Least because that's good. It's funny with Littlefinger because he's supposed to be just this very master masterful schemer. schemer and smart guy, and I mean he did shit this past season. I'm glad he died. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm glad he died, and I'm glad the way he died was the way he died. But. At the downfall was really just him having a weakness for Sansa yeah. and not and underestimating her. So Isn't that interesting? Like love is what took him down. An obsession with her. Yeah. But because otherwise he just focused on being masterful and like trying to become the king. But it's really in terms of his vision right. of having her by his side. That's what was his downfall. Right. And he uh, like I said, underestimated her and ended up getting axed for it so i'm happy about it i'm happy he's the least valuable player bye felicia seriously all right last up the king in the north most valuable players of the season so mine is daenerys stormborn of house targaryen khaleesi the unburnt and lover of nephews adding a few more titles there well deserved explain so i think Daenerys did a lot this season outside of having sex with her nephew, which she doesn't know, so you can't blame her. Um, Like, she saved John's ass. She ended up losing one of her children, a dragon, and yet was still able to keep it together. Like, she's not a bad person. I think she proved to John and whoever else she needed to prove to, I guess Davos, because they were the only two people that she was really introduced to that she's a good person and yeah while she sometimes has some Targaryen tendencies to burn people alive like Mr. Tarly I don't think she I think her decision was justified so she risked her life to go and save the Magnificent Seven she fucked up the uh the Lannister army at Train battle like I think she accomplished a lot she was noble enough to agree to this meeting. I mean, so I think... She convinced John to bend the knee. And that was... I was going to say that next. She finally convinced John to bend the knee. And it wasn't through her beauty or anything like that. It was because she was able to prove herself to him. And he was so adamant at the very beginning of the season that he was not going to bend the knee. And the fact that she was able to do it and not do it in a in in a non-manipulative way was great. Like she did it through genuine. She yeah. th- did it through her good heart. And I I at the end I I feel I feel bad for her actually. So to sum <laughs> yeah, to sum up her achievements, she won the loot train battle. She rescued John, mm-hmm. right? She got him to bend the knee, which is now the greatest alliance in all of Westeros, right? right. So that's that's a pretty good season. Yeah. 
So my most valuable player is the Night King. Of course. I mean, at the end of the day, he won, right? He went from all he had was this big group of idiot dead people (laughs) uh, and this big wall that he couldn't get over. And then in a span of two episodes, out of nowhere, (laughs) well, first off, he, he sees Bran and he's like, yo, dude, I'm here. So Bran, Bran, like he's like, oh shit, let's go fucking do this stupid mission. I and they they send everybody up there, and then he he gets a dragon out of it. He not only kills Thoros of Mir, who can resurrect people, yeah, which is awesome. He gets a dragon out of it, and then well, with his amazing arm, right? He not only is he the most valuable player, he's the the most athletic. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the he has the best form, and then. With that dragon, he burns down the one thing keeping him from his ultimate goal. Burns down the wall. That yeah. He 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 won the season. He won. I I that's fine. I agree with you. Yeah, but I I do think Danny on the good side. On the human side. On the human side. Um, arguably not the good side because yeah. who knows the Night King is might be the good. Guy. You know, and I was struggling. Is John the MVP? But at the end of the day, it's always gonna be you know nothing, John. Yeah, like you just don't know well, shit. Well, while John was is is good at times, he's, he's dumb. He's dumb. He's and, dumb. And I think that's where we can end this podcast. Yeah. Um, stay tuned later this week for our mailbag episode. Um, we'll give you guys more thoughts then and then we'll wrap it up then also with what we thought about the season overall yep thank you everyone bye